0: You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. Well, good morning and welcome. He is risen. Amen. Amen. On Friday night, we took a moment and uh, remembered what's called Good Friday, as ironic as that name is, the death of Jesus. And uh, we were able to say that it was possibly the best, worst day in the history of the world, the death of Jesus. The best in that it's what defeated sin for us. The worst in that it was an ultimately cosmic crime against God in the flesh. But today, Resurrection Sunday, we get to celebrate what is the best day in all of history, bar none, the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. So will you stand with me as we begin our time of worship, as we read from the scriptures? O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had not seen my work." For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What that psalm speaks to us of is the example that we are to draw from the nation of Israel in the Old Testament who hardened their hearts against the grace and mercy of God. And today what the scripture tells us is that today is the day of salvation. We remember, we recollect, and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the assurance of our salvation. So let's come together and sing out to the Lord. Matthew 28 is where we're going to find ourselves. Matthew 28, verse 1, we'll read the accounting in Matthew's gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 28, 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This story, as I've already said this morning, what we remember this day, what we commemorate on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is the greatest day in all of history for for one specific reason. Good Friday, the death of Jesus, as tragic as that was because it was unjust, Jesus being perfect, taking the sin of mankind upon himself, paying for that sin, the death of Jesus accomplished the eradication, the defeat, the washing away of sin. But the resurrection of Jesus, what it proves to us and promises us, those who believe upon Jesus, is life eternal. Where sin is dealt with at the cross, the resurrection promises us the life of Jesus for ourselves. He tells his disciples, lo, I will be with you. See, when Jesus says that he's going to be with his disciples, we know from the story of Scripture that it's not that he's physically with us anymore. In fact, we know later on in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to the Father in heaven. He physically goes away from the earth. But Jesus said in his own uh, speaking to the disciples in the Gospels, he said, I have to go away physically. I have to leave you so that the Holy Spirit might come and be with you. You see, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in the three persons of the Trinity, they are all God at the same time. This is essential for us to understand. So even though Jesus physically had to leave this earth, he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you to be with me forever, since I rose from the grave and I have life eternally. I'm giving you that life, and I'm going to prepare where that place is. He says, I go away, but I leave you the comforter, the counselor, the one who will remind you of all of the things that I said to you. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us, reminds us of Jesus and what he told us. This very commission that Jesus gives to his disciples in in Matthew 28, where he says, go therefore, I have authority, and so I'm telling you as my disciples, go therefore, and you go make disciples. You're my disciples. You learn from me. That's what it means to be a disciple, is just to be a learner, But you learn from me, Jesus says, and now you go make other disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How is it? What is it? How is it that we can remember everything that Jesus commanded us? It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, reminding us of what Jesus teaches us. And so this day, this, this memorial, this celebration that we have of the resurrection of Jesus is the singular greatest day in all of history. The cross is amazing. The cross is, is good in the sense that it, it, it forgives our sins. But if Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, if he's not actually alive, we don't have any hope beyond the grave. Okay, our sins can be forgiven temporarily, but the Bible tells us that that the reason that we die is because of our sins. It's the consequence of our sin. So if Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, the best that you and I can get ever in our life is to temporarily feel better about the sins that we've committed. That's it. That's the best that we could hope for if Jesus is still dead. It's to temporarily say, God, I'm sorry in this moment for the bad thing I've done. And he says, thank you for being sorry. You're forgiven in the moment. But the moment you sin again, you're back to that same place. Yet with the resurrection of Jesus, you're promised that even in in the reality that you and I continue to sin, because Jesus not only defeats sin and forgives it at the cross, he promises us eternal life, resurrection from the grave. Now, this is important for us to understand. When we speak about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel is a word that has sort of just been um, misappropriated within the church culture, and everything is gospel at this point, right? So churches all the time say, we're all about the gospel. This is what we want to do is be about the gospel and outreach is about the gospel and worship's about the gospel and kids are about the gospel and everything's the gospel. When everything is something, then nothing is something. You get what I'm saying, right? Like if we just use the word gospel over and over again and try and uh, tag it onto every single thing relating to church, then it starts to lose its meaning and its importance. This is a question we talked about this week just in preparation for this just to go. If, if someone came to me and said, "Lucian, what is the gospel? What would I say? Like, how would I explain that to someone? In the modern age, in the modern evangelical age, where we've been influenced by things like industry and technology, uh, corporate uh, infrastructures, the church has tried to, pardon my disrespect, but the church has tried to dumb down the gospel. They tried to say, hey, you should be able to explain the gospel in two minutes or less. You need to be able to prepare an elevator speech for the gospel so that if someone comes to you, listen, just get it out real quick. What are the main points? What are the main talking points? Okay, so what's the gospel? Uh, Well, uh, Jesus died on a cross. I have the promise of heaven. Somebody told me if I believe in him, things are going to go well for me. That sounds like good news. Good news. Believe in Jesus and everything goes good for you, right? Like that sounds, maybe that's what the gospel is. I'll just use that, right? So that when we're talking to people about what our faith entails, the depth of, of what salvation is, if we dumb it down to just, well, just believe and good things will happen to you, we've, we've lost the actual substance of what this good news is. So turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've heard the accounting of Jesus being resurrected from the grave, commissioning us as his disciples to go make more disciples, to tell them about all the things that Jesus commanded us, but let's go ahead and take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1, as the Apostle Paul speaks about this resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and what it means to us and for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verses one and two, follow along with me. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you. Here it is. The Apostle Paul is gonna tell us what the gospel is. We don't have to try and come up out of our own ingenuity, out of our own desire to convince people of anything. We don't have to repackage anything, we don't have to advertise anything. We are being told what the gospel is here. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and watch this, by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. This tells us several very, very important things about our faith. That not everybody who claims to have believed upon Jesus actually believed upon Jesus, This means that when we believe upon Jesus for salvation, there is something that has to take place. There is something that that has to change in us in such a way that we devote ourselves to what Jesus has called us to, which is to go make other disciples, to remember everything that he taught us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with us. Paul says, this is the gospel that I'm going to share with you. He says, you are being saved by this gospel if you hold fast to the word that that I preach to you. Take a look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, meaning they've died. What Paul is saying is that there are those who were with Jesus at the crucifixion who were still alive. He was able to go and talk to them. This is how the tradition of scripture has been handed down through the generations is that the word has been spoken and then it's been taught to subsequent generations. This is how Paul says, I delivered this good news. In verse 7, he says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared also to me. Paul says this, this, th- th- this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Y- y- do you see what he said in explaining what the gospel is? Verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Number one, that Christ died for our sins. If you, in hearing the gospel message, if you, in believing upon who Jesus says he is, God in the flesh, if you don't acknowledge that he died on the cross for your sins, if you don't believe that you're a sinner, you haven't heard the gospel yet. In our day and age, nobody likes to talk about sin. Why? Because we feel bad enough about ourselves as it is. We don't need some holier-than-thou, righteous guy standing on stage thumping a Bible at us, telling, you're a sinner. They, we don't need, I don't need that trouble, right? I got enough things going on in my life. I don't need some guy on a Sunday morning to tell me that I'm a sinner. But here's the deal. That's only part of the equation you have to understand. The good news begins with the fact that you and I are sinners And that Jesus died for those sins. The sins that you and I commit, what the Bible says separates us from God, evil thoughts, unclean emotions, bad words that we speak, actions and behaviors that just dirty us, those things are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. If there's not a sacrifice that's worthy, then we're still dead. We're still in our sins. The beginning point of the gospel is that you and I are sinners and that Jesus died to forgive those sins. The scripture goes on and says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, he was dead. He did not just swoon. He did not just faint on the cross and then revive later. He died. He died a physical death. that that he died and was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel. When we say we want to tell somebody about Jesus and preach the good news, the gospel to them, what that means is that we have to acknowledge, number one, that we're sinners, that Jesus died for those sins to be washed clean, and then Jesus rose from the grave that he's alive right now. This is what saves us. Doing our best to be nice to one another and to be good examples of Jesus' love and peace and mercy, that's not what saves us. That's good. We should do those things. But that's not what saves us. Being good doesn't save anybody because the Bible also says that our best works, our righteousness, the best that we can come up with before the Lord they're just filthy rags. There's Nothing we can do is good enough for the Lord apart from Jesus. So the gospel is believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but then also believing that he rose from the grave and promises us eternal life. This is the gospel. Short of that, we are not teaching the true gospel if we simply want to convince people that to join our church and say, hey, if you believe upon Jesus, you can just expect great things in your life. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. If you just give yourself over to him, he'll just bless you with cookies and milk, and you'll sleep better than you ever have before. Listen, that's not what scripture says. Here, here's the deal. And this isn't about scaring people. This isn't about trying to not have people join the church. I want people in the church. That's our mission. But one of the things we have to understand is that the gospel is not complicated, right? Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the grave that promises us eternal life. That's not complicated, but it is incredibly hard. Following after Jesus, walking in the way that Jesus walked is not easy. Don't let anybody ever tell you that being a Christian means that the rest of your life is going to be easy. I joke about this all the time. That's not really a a good advertising slogan to get people to join the church. Hey, sign up for Jesus. Your life's going to stink, right? Like That's not a great way to attract people to the faith. But I think we do a disservice. I think we discount the gospel. I think we don't tell the whole truth unless we say, hey, listen, following Jesus is going to take you and me following the example of Jesus dying. The Bible tells us that we have to die to ourselves, spiritually. We have to put our wants, our desires, our affections, our selfishness, our greed, our hatred, our anxiety, all of those things, we have to put those things to death. They get nailed to the cross with Jesus so that my life can be resurrected with Jesus. The old man, the sinful man, the Bible says, dies, and the renewed, life-given person raises up with Jesus. Now, the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus that we have from the Apostle Paul here does two things for us. It confirms to us, rather, in two ways that what took place at the resurrection of Jesus was true. This isn't just a fable. This isn't just a legend. This isn't just some book that somebody wrote that a bunch of people in the old world who were superstitious wrote. That's, that's, if that's how you've heard the Bible described as some story, some ancient story that's good for little kids. But once you're an adult and you understand science and philosophy and all these things, you don't need to believe those fables anymore. Listen, here's why we know this is true. Two things account to the truth of this, the resurrection of Jesus. Number one, it was prophetically spoken of. In the Old Testament, that's what Paul keeps saying. He's referring to the scriptures. Jesus died according to the scriptures. And Jesus rose from the grave according to the scriptures. Number one, prophetically The resurrection of Jesus was spoken of hundreds of years before it occurred. Mark down Psalm chapter chapter 16, verse 10. Psalm 16, 10 says that God would not allow his Holy One to remain in Sheol, the place of death. God would not allow his Holy One to be cursed in that way and to be ruined in that way. It was spoken of prophetically that the Messiah would raise up from the dead. You want to see a great movie about this. A a lot of Christian movies are garbage. They're just for some reason Christians are just horrible at making entertainment. It just doesn't work out really well. And we just have to be honest about those things. It's not, it's not to be critical. It's just most Christian movies are bad. But if you want to see a really well done movie that that sort of looks into these things, it's a movie called Risen. And it was made just a few years ago, 2016. Risen, Joseph Fiennes is in it. And it's from the perspective of a Roman centurion who is given the task of investigating the claims of the resurrection. See, the Jews knew about the fact that there was supposed to be a resurrection. The Romans, who were familiar with the Jews, knew that there was supposed to be a resurrection. And the fact that Jesus rose from the grave created all kinds of problems for them. Watch that movie, Risen. It's it's actually a well-done film that highlights this reality that the raising up of Jesus from the dead was the singular, greatest, most impactful event in all of history. The reason we know this is true, not only because of the prophetic word that was spoken hundreds of years in the past, Jesus fulfilling that, but Paul says himself here in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the other 12 disciples. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive. This is not simply the individual experience and recounting of some wackadoo out in the desert saying, I figured it out. I know the whole thing about God and salvation, and if you follow me, then I'll tell you about what you need to know. This is not about a new revelation. This is not about starting a new religion. This is quite simply the fulfillment of everything that God said would happen according to his plan. It was prophesied of in the past, it was fulfilled in the act of Jesus in his death and resurrection, And it was accounted to by over 500 people in that day and age. That Listen, to convict someone of a crime, it usually only takes what? One or two, three or four witnesses who, who they can corroborate a story so that someone gets convicted of a crime? 500 people is more than a quorum, folks. 500 people establishes that Jesus actually was alive after his crucifixion and death. These are the things that we can know as followers of Jesus. That if we believe the gospel, we live in the gospel, we follow after Jesus, we then have the responsibility to go out and make disciples of other people. And so we can be confident in knowing that Jesus was real. We know that Jesus died. He was crucified. And we know that Jesus rose from the grave and is alive even now. This is why, pay attention, this is why... In the early days of the church, before we had the scripture in hand, this is why in the early church, they wrote what were called creeds, statements of faith that you could teach your children. You know how, you, when, you, when you got little, anybody who's had little kids, right? You teach them the, bed, the, the nighttime prayers, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Number one, that's the creepiest prayer you could ever teach your kids in the world. Come on, talking. listen. Like, come on, how about Jesus loves you? Sleep well, my beloved child. Like, just, that was just off the top of my head, but like, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Yes, that's theologically correct, but it's creepy, okay? But listen, what what the early church leaders did, because we didn't have the scripture in this form, and because most people were illiterate in that day and age, they couldn't actually read, they would develop what are called creeds so that we could teach one another what it is that we believe in a fairly succinct, short statement. And so listen as I read to you what's called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest creeds written so that that we know what we believe. And as we listen to the Apostles' Creed, listen, this is the gospel in narrative form, it's telling us what happened. This is the good news. This is how you teach someone about what it means to follow Jesus. There's a word I'm gonna use in the Apostles' Creed that we have to understand. It's the word Catholic, And, and the word Catholic means universal, just so that you understand how that language is used. Catholic means universal because the idea here is that Jesus wanted all of his followers to be united as one. And so the word universal means Catholic, so that you understand that as I read this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You can study that statement, the Apostles' Creed line by line, and what you are understanding and explaining is exactly what you need to believe and remain in to be saved. This is what we need to to recover for ourselves as Christians, the gospel that tells the full story, not the gospel that simply attracts a lot of people to come to our events and come to our church. Right? Like, that's, that's not the gospel we want because what happens when you preach simply good things to people all the time, then when the hard things hit, those are the people that end up falling away, having perhaps believed at one moment, but when their faith is tested, they go, I don't want to believe that stuff anymore. Life's too hard. This is the faith that causes us to remain in that state of salvation and, and, and endure until the end, ultimately, eternally being saved. Paul says, if you believe this, remain in the faith that Jesus is your salvation. If you confess and repent of your sins, if you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in producing fruits of righteousness in your, in your life, if you follow Jesus' commandments in what he has called you to do, you will be saved. Too often the gospel is oversimplified to the point of disrespect. Jesus died for our sins. And Jesus rose from the grave to give us life. If you remember one thing from this morning, this is the one thing I want you to take away with you. If you forget everything else I've said, that's fine. But this is the one thing I want you to remember Jesus did not die so that you and I could live. That's been a pretty typical presentation of the gospel for years. Jesus died so that you can live. That's not true. It's well-intentioned, but it's not true. Jesus died so that you and I could die. Jesus lives so that you and I can live. We are called to die with Christ. And we are called to be raised to life with Christ. Hence, baptism. That's why salvation and baptism are equated. We go into the waters of baptism in the same way that Jesus went to the grave in his death. And in the same way that Jesus rose up from the grave, we come up out of the waters of baptism, a new creation in Christ. A new creature, forgiven of our sins, sins washed away and forgiven eternally. This is why baptism is so important. And this is also why the table of communion is so very central to our faith because it commemorates the death of Jesus, his broken body, and his shed blood. This is why we come together to celebrate this. The table of communion is, is the fullness of the work of Jesus. Pardon me. In our very hands, the bread that he took and said, take, eat this, it's my body broken for you. The cup that he held and said, take and drink this. This is the new covenant in my blood. That is the agreement between God and man. Jesus signed it in his blood and said, this is how you will be reconciled to the Lord, through my blood. Jesus said, take and eat take and drink. Remember what I did for you. Remember the agreement that was struck between God and mankind because of my act of sacrifice. Somebody shared with me this morning uh, just a, a, a word from the Lord. I believe it to be true because it corresponds with what we know from scripture and history. And it quite simply is this, that communion Is key to fulfillment of Christ's light. When you and I believe upon Jesus, when we place our faith upon Jesus, Jesus says that He would give us His Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us. We are called to go out into the world and be what? Light. We're to be light. Jesus says we're supposed to be like a light on a hill. Right? The light of Jesus shines out from us. I know that's a hard concept sometimes. To go, me? I'm the one Jesus wants to go around and tell people about eternal life? Like, I'm last picked for that team. Let's be honest. Like, I've said too many bad things. I've thought too many bad thoughts. I've been mean to too many people. Like, I'm last picked for that team. Yet, here's the beauty of it. In the truth of salvation, I'm a new creation in Christ. Jesus' spirit is in me. And the light of Christ in me is what is being reflected out to the world if I remain in him. And so week by week, we come to the table of communion, not simply as a dead ritual, not simply as an act to make ourselves feel better, but we come to the table of communion to do two things. Number one, to confess and repent of our sins. Paul tells us that when we come to the table of communion, we are to come and we are to take worth in what we're doing. We're to pay attention to what we're doing. It's not just grab a piece of bread. Thankfully, the guy's done talking. We can eat something now. That's not what it is. It's, it's taking the actual body of Christ spiritually for ourselves and being united to Christ It's taking the cup, the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, and it becoming spiritual drink for us, giving us his life. This is why we come often to the table of communion. This is the central point of our faith, being united with Jesus. And so this morning, as you have heard the gospel proclaimed to the best of my ability according to what the scripture says. For those who are in the Lord, who, those who are in the faith, who have believed upon Jesus for salvation, this is the celebration of life everlasting given to us. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who has decided to believe and follow Jesus in this good news that we've heard, his death and his resurrection, then before you can come to this table, before you can participate in remembering the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, you need to come to Jesus in your heart, in your mind, and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. You need to confess that you're a sinner and then repent, tell God you're sorry and say that you believe Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. When you do that, then you can come to this table and be united with Christ. You can come and participate in his broken body and his shed blood, knowing that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life to look forward to because Jesus rose from the grave.